0: I started sharing the story of when I got the, the feedback um, from my colleague. Um, and what was interesting, and when I talked to her and other people, what I heard was, you know, Edwin, you're really good in one-on-one and lot, most of the meetings, like, you're really great and you're listening and you're collaborative and all that. But it was in this meeting, this meeting, and this meeting that you got into this mode. So I was like, okay, so I'm not always a jerk, but I was a jerk in those three meetings. What was going on? What was going on inside of me and what i landed on was what you're just talking about it's when i'm afraid of where i believe the team seems to be going in this meeting or the decision that they want to make and i'm afraid
1: that that's bad for the group hey lj how many talks at conferences have you given on ai this year
2: oh my goodness probably actually i actually have no idea it's been so many
1: Oh, God. And how many times have you uh, taught this AI uh, to supercharge your desk course already?
2: Over two dozen times now.
1: Two dozen? God, you were at eight the last time I asked you, like, a month ago. Good lord. I know,
2: I know. It has been exceedingly popular, and it's gotten rave reviews. So we're super excited about what I think is going to be the leveling the playing field. The great equalizer is uh, generative. And, you know, I've been quoted as saying, AI won't replace you, but someone that knows how to use it will. And so you need to get on it if you have it.
1: That's right, guys. So check out the supercharger desk with AI that Lauren is teaching the Elite Consulting. And you can find her at Lauren at Leap or on LinkedIn at Lauren Jones with the GOAT follower.
2: That's right, look for the little GOAT icon, send me an IM, and, and we will get this scheduled tomorrow.
1: Lauren Jones, how the hell are you today?
2: I am so flip excited it's Friday, mr. man.
1: she normally she says super fantastic or super no I was thrown in,
2: i was i I was thrown in something different i i but I'm really we had a big big deadline week um, and we delivered, and you know it just feels good to be here on this fine Friday now, so we can yeah. President. Your calendar
1: looked like a mess this week. I tried to book something yeah. with you, and I was I it gave It was up.
2: like Chinese, Chinese checkers. It was just it was like just, you know, very complicated.
1: There are very few. There are weeks consistently, once a month, where I just try to give up booking anything with you. This was one of them. Yeah. So
2: I'm sorry. We're coming that. towards the end of the year, and our Q4. You know, and thank you, you so much, close. universe. Um, uh, Q4 has been bananas, but I'm really excited. We've got, we've got a really nice pipeline for January. And so, yeah, that makes me oh. happy. makes my heart happy.
1: Like Gwen Stefani bananas or like, like just regular bananas?
2: <laughs> well, B-A-N-A-N-A-S, of course, it's got to be.
0: Oh, you bananas. can do that. That's impressive. I was going to try. And then I thought, I don't uh, think I can pull that
1: off. I I like it.
2: I can also do the alphabet backwards.
1: Well, that's a neat party trick when you're intoxicated, but you don't drink. Anyway, That's great. With, yeah, by length, with, with us today, the third voice that we haven't introduced yet is Edwin Jansen. How you doing, man? B a n n a n n a s. No, okay, so <laughs> they're wrong. But he's bananas, like when. Uh, I'm bananas. Edwin is the CEO and chief steward at Fuse, and we are super excited to have this conversation because we, I think, Lauren. It's safe to say, Lauren and I are not traditionalists. I don't think we're. I think we're like. Definitely opposed to traditional organizations, but I don't think that we, we're probably way more of a, uh, a flat organization person than we are a uh, hierarchical. I, I don't want to speak for I, you though. So just.
2: Well, no, I, I am a denier of, of traditional, a uh, corporate structure. I'll, I'll call myself a denier. I just, I just don't think it works. I think it's antiquated. I think it can be toxic and I think that it can stifle creativity. So those are my yeah. feelings about it. <laughs> um, so do I don't really know if that makes me Yeah, yeah. You're, you're I, definitely
1: I, on the same page as me. Anyway, so yeah, and you can yeah, tell, we're
2: going
1: yeah. to have a fantastic conversation about uh, reinventing organizations uh, and lots of cool conversations around how that can work for your organization to drive growth um, and really cool innovation. Uh, but before we do that, let's get to know Edwin. So, Edwin, we got five questions for you to, to kick off this call. Question number one, what book are you reading or would you recommend right now? Besides for the one we're going to talk about. Uh,
0: I don't read so good, I have to admit. Yes. I, I tend to, I read novels, and I, but I only, I listen to nonfiction. I, uh, if I have a nonfiction book that I have to read, it just takes me too long. But I have more than 200 books in my Audible. Like I just love listening to nonfiction. Um the book that I am listening to right now is called The Fifth Agreement by uh Don Miguel Ruiz. Um you might have read the four agreements. Uh have either of you read the the four the, Yeah, what's the fifth? Yeah, so the let me just say cuz I think I can remember cuz I'm just reading it right now. The four agreements are don't take anything personally, be always be impeccable with your word. Yep. Uh uh, always try your best and shoot. What's the missing one? Don't forget uh, the agreements. Don't make assumptions. Don't make assumptions. All right. And then the fifth agreement, which is fantastic because it goes over the first four and then it, it layers on the fifth. And the fifth agreement is uh, always be skeptical, but learn to listen. Really listen. And so what Don Miguel Ruiz, he's, like a, he's a Toltec spiritual master. And what he really uh, talks about is we are managing our own reality and, and managing the story of our reality, making meaning. And so the beliefs that we choose to believe in, the assumptions we're making about what people do and why they did that, uh, and, and what we're actually saying and doing that's our own architecture. We're the directors of our own movies, and um, these books are absolutely fantastic. So I highly, re- highly recommend them to anyone. I read the the how four
2: funny. I'm the exact opposite. I listen to nonfiction or uh, to to fiction and read my nonfiction because, and mostly because I'm, I'm a highlighter and a yeah, I, yeah. I, really, I I have to yeah that's so funny that's so funny that that because and again i'm a highlighter and a dog earer, and i always have the little i want to remember little morsels from it but also i'll mark up an entire book if it's a learning book so yeah interesting. it has to be an exceptional non book for me to read it
1: I, okay I, okay I, it, so to, it has to, to be all successful. right okay so next one do that
2: Next one, Edwin, most God. memorable moment in staffing.
1: And no most pressure because m- the memorable. last one was meeting Lauren from, the, from our last guest. Yeah, <laughs> most
0: memorable <laughs> um, moment in staffing. I guess that would be the one that comes up in my memory. Uh, didn't I have a memory like a yes. goldfish. Um, yeah, I I would say we there was a meeting that we had. Um, we 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 the staffing firm that I used to be with. We grew our net income like six hundred percent after the first year of COVID, which was just absolutely miraculous. Okay. And we planned like a, a retrospective, like an agile retrospective meeting. We used this liberating structure called "What, uh, so what." Now what? So it's, it's people are surfacing as it relates to this amazing year that we just had, what happened? And then the next question that everyone's answering, and this was kind of, it was like kind of a, a collective executive meeting. Um, um, you know, so what? So what's important or valuable about what, ha- what had happened and what we realized? And then the third question is, now what? And it was a really memorable... Um, moment for me because we're going to be talking about this. I think in this in this podcast today, we had you know developed this self managing organization. We essentially eliminated all positional hierarchy within the company, and we had been doing that for six or seven years uh, before COVID hit, and it worked really well, and everyone was really engaged. But there was always this question: Is it does it drive increased business value? Does it actually make the company perform better? And there was only really like qualitative, you know information about that, because we don't know how would we have performed if we had traditional hierarchy, because we're you know only an experiment of one. But in this meeting, a year after uh, growing 600 um, percent, the most common answer that was surfaced was it was our self-managing operating system. The fact that everyone was empowered to do their very best work. That's what made us grow and respond so well to COVID. So that was a really memorable kind of proof point um, for me.
2: You said that and it made me think of something my dad says all the time. He says, S-W-S-W-S-W-N. So, some will, some won't. So what next? There you go. It's like the, a little jump. Like never heard that one
1: game. before. The improv game, okay, and right, like you're always, you're always. Okay, and, and
2: yes, yes and, yes, and yes, and that's the game. All right, yes.
1: And. Edwin, greatest success to date could be staffing, could be life, could be what you just said. Ah, uh,
0: yeah, it's always hard, hard to think about successes because that's. I don't know, that's not kind of, I'm always looking forward and like, what's the next, what's the next thing? Um, but maybe, maybe because I was just talking of talking about this, but I do believe like this, this, what we call our teal operating system, this started with us reading this book, Reinventing Organizations. And when I read that book, um, I realized that kind of all of the, the people, leadership, people development, employee engagement, things that um, I was trying to put in place had a ceiling. And that ceiling was, um, was management, was management ultimately having responsibility and power over people. And you can only get so engaged when you have someone who has power over you and can kind of take it all away. And so, you know, the the uh, transference of reading this book and realizing there was a new paradigm that we could be working in, and then we initially started in this very small startup that I was leading at the time, and it was maybe only ten employees, and then that eventually spread to the rest of the company, which has had you know close to five hundred employees globally, and just to see that something turn from an idea to an experiment, then to, for it to take on a life of its own and to really spread uh, is something that I just feel very proud of. And it was not my personal success, but it was really gratifying to see you know, that kind of work.
2: Okay, I love it. I, and I can't wait to dive into that a little bit more. So on the opposite end of that is your biggest failure or greatest failure.
0: Oh, shoot. That's it though. That's easy. That's, that's easy or easier. Well, it's actually hard to pick the greatest. Um, uh, I, I, God, am I just like making mistakes and failing kind of all the time. Um, I, I've just basically had a career of, of, of trying to pull off innovation and trying to pull off things that have never done, been, been done before. And so you fail more than you succeed when you're doing that. Um, So I would say like probably the biggest um, kind of failure or mistake um, came when a a colleague of mine um, gave me some really difficult feedback. And, And she said, you know, I've noticed in these three or four specific group meetings that you got into push mode and you really started to try to railroad the conversation into where you wanted us to go. And let me give you this feedback. When you get into that mode, here's what that does to me. And it shuts me down and it makes me think that you're not listening and that you're going to do it anyway and that you don't value my opinion. And I was really floored by hearing this feedback because I had thought that this was a strength of mine, my persuasive uh, communication style, right? Uh, and then so I asked her, I was like, you know, do you think you're the only one or do you think other people might feel this way? And she's like, "Uh, I think you should ask them, and so I actually sent a note out to the whole team, and I did what what a practice that we we've often done in the organization uh called k s s keep stop start so i said i've got I've gotten this feedback, and you know this is this is you know not the way I want to show up um I'm curious if you've ever had this experience with me." And and then at the same time, you know, if there's anything you either want me to keep doing, stop doing or start doing, I'd love to hear that feedback. And so I went around and basically everybody said the same thing. And so, you know, this was kind of an example of when you, you know, you think that you're good at something, but, um, you know, the, if you actually check with people and realize, you know, and so I was like, man, I've been probably doing this for 10 years. And and yeah. so I got to the bottom of it, and and that's why I, I think it sounds cheesy, but feedback is a gift. It is a gift, and you got to make sure you you unwrap it and and appreciate the gifts that your colleagues are potentially giving you.
2: Yeah, and I, I think you also have to be very cognizant of how you take feedback, right? Um, I and I think therein lies the the art, um, because. I I think it's really easy to say, I want an environment of transparency and feedback and all of that. But if you don't create as sort of psychologically safe space to accept feedback, right, ain't nobody going to give it to you. So I admire, you know, you very openly saying, you know, give me, give me that feedback and then doing, doing something with it rather than just, yeah, you're really just listening to your own self speak when you ask for feedback and you don't listen to it.
0: Yeah. Lauren, you you just you just hit the nail on the head. So you know we're going to be talking about you know how, how does it work in a self managing organization? Yeah. Um, feedback is the is the is the blood is the lifeline in a self managing organization because you don't have a boss whose job it is to give you feedback. Mm-hmm. And so what you just said is absolutely critical to the point where we created a practice around it. So we we have kind of two sides of the feedback equation. One is the giver of the feedback and we use this model called SBI, situation behavior impact. So, you know, I would say here was the situation, Lauren, you know, yesterday, here was your behavior, and then here was the impact on me, and I can only speak for myself. This is what happened to me. This is what I I found. And then when I give you that feedback, Lauren, you have to do T-I-R. First of all, thank you, Edwin. That must have taken a lot of courage. You must really value our relationship for you to have given me that feedback. You didn't have to do that. Thank you. I is inquire. Now let me understand. Let me unwrap this gift. Do I always do that? Was this the first time? How else did it make you feel? What were the consequences? And then the R is repeat and record. So Let me hear you correctly. This is what happened. This is what it did. You know, let me make sure that I get that. And then we actually gamified it. And then, you know, you would have to go into whatever Teams or Slack and you would have to say, hashtag TIR, thanks Edwin for giving me this great gift of feedback today. So we could actually count and see how much feedback was happening in the organization. So, you know, it doesn't just happen (laughs) like, and I I say to senior leaders all the time, if you are not asking for feedback, all the time, and rewarding people for giving you the feedback and making them feel so safe, guaranteed, there are a, a thousand gifts out there that you are not giving. You are not getting the feedback. You just simply aren't. I have never met never you know, met a person who's getting lots of feedback without asking for it and creating safety.
2: Yeah. I love that. I love that.
1: All right. This is an easy question. Are you a dogger or a cat
2: Well, person? kind of. Could be divisive.
1: There's consequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> we'll give you I heard in one on of this. your interviews. Yeah, no, I, I, I,
0: I'm prepared for this one. I'm prepared we will give you feedback, one. by the way. Yeah. So. When you
1: yeah. want it
0: or not? Well, well, yeah. <laughs> you know what? And maybe I'll be controversial with my answer on this, just to right. just oh, to get you oh, like get it. you all going. He's a, so he's you're asking me. Are you asking me, <laughs> am, I, am I a dog or a cat person? Um, Neither. I would say I'm, I'm now a cat person. I was okay. raised with a dog my whole life. We always had standard poodles, which I, you know, one of the most intelligent dog breeds and have some really great stories. But I never like deeply, deeply, deeply connected with, with our dogs like, like my brother did and like how other people do. Um, mm-hmm. and then, but we, it was only ever dogs. We actually had other kind of weird animals like parrots and rabbits and other stuff. Um, and then later on when I, um, got together with, uh, my now wife, she's a cat person and she brought cats into our life. And at first I was like, hell no. Um, but then they really started to grow on me. And now I've got oh. two daughters who are absolutely obsessed with our two cats and. Um, Our cats are really, my wife's really good at somehow, she's like a cat whisperer, like picking cats that have personality and are not loners and that are really affectionate and fun. And now I'm just a cat person. And I have to be honest, when I see people who especially have what I would kind of term an annoying dog, one that slobbers all the time or one that like runs away or that's like super shitty or super like all in your face or really high maintenance, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you <laughs> Like, how is that, how is that worth it? How is that, wow. you know, um, worth it? So I just, I don't totally get um, dog people. I have to be honest.
2: Yeah, that's okay. We, we still love Megan McCann. She's a cat person too. So it's, it's okay. Edwin, if you like cats, uh, I we still the, love you.
1: The, I think the oh. thing, you know, a cat that's, not a loner as a big.
2: That's a big one. Yeah. I I had a I had a cat in college his name was Mozart and he was more like a puppy cat. Of course like was. He would play like a dog. He would play fetch. Um, you know, he would wrestle, you know, he was uh he was pretty he was a puppy cat. He wasn't like a regular cat. So I agree if you can find the right cat uh that's yeah. got a good personality and some spunk to it rather than just in a loose don't oh, touch yeah. me cat, then I th- I think you're right. It's all about choosing Choosing the right yeah. one, your, your, your soul cat or your soul dog. Yeah. Uh, right. so let's dive in. Cause I had just finished Holacracy. Um, oh. have you read Holacracy? Have you, I know all about Holacracy.
0: Holacracy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: and you know, it, it very much in this non-traditional way of, of creating, you know, a different way to govern. I totally love the idea of having this constitution within an organization, you know, it does create these like agreements between individuals, but let's start at the beginning um, with you, you know, because you and I had a conversation that was really impactful to me, prompted me to buy the book, Reinventing Organizations. Um, but tell me how, tell us how, um, this book sort of changed your your world tell us tell us the story
0: yeah, so this was uh probably i don't know nine eight or nine years ago or something like that um so i was I w- was hired by uh about a four hundred million dollar um staffing company to lead corporate development and innovation, so just inventing crazy new business models um uh for the company the company they're called Rays. Uh, or raise recruiting they're also a b corp so if if people don't know what a b corp is the b stands for benefits so companies like patagonia and etsy and ben and jerry's social enterprises are b corps and as a b corp you actually you're still a for-profit company but you change your articles of incorporate of incorporation and your governance to say we're not just for profit we're for our employees and we're for the communities we're for all of our stakeholders and and then b lab is a third party that comes and certifies you and actually measures how well are you treating your employees what's the value of your products and services what's your environmental footprint and they give you a score so everyone can see how you're operating so this the staffing firm um raise is is the staffing industry's largest b corp which means it's purpose um, um driven as an organization and so our purpose was to connect people in meaningful work and to reduce the barriers that people found in in becoming engaged and finding meaningful work. So I was leading this, uh, a startup that was called Fitzy. And this startup was um, helping small uh, businesses who don't have in-house talent acquisition because they're not large enough to basically get a rec- an entire recruitment service in a box. So. You got access to a recruiter to write job ads, to do screening. And then we had a, we acquired a predictive ATS that had psychometrics in it and would actually combine the predictive ATS with the recruiter uh, and then sold that as a package. So, not as a contingent, but as like a flat fee so that, you know, we're not charging them uh, an arm and a leg. And so I was leading this, this startup. And we re, you know, read this, this Reinventing Organizations, uh, which basically tells the story of 12 organizations who have three okay. kind of revolutionary uh, elements. One is they're self-managing, so they don't have any positional uh, authority. Another one is that they have built practices that encourage employees to bring their whole selves to work. So we know in most companies, Um, You know, you kind of wear a mask to some degree, there's that professional conduct, you can't kind of be yourself. So these organizations really um, encourage their employees to, to be themselves. And then the third hallmark was, instead of having a purpose that was figured out by the CEO and the executive team and then written on the wall, like how all the good to great, you know, Jim Collins company's done, like, let's figure out our values and let's write them on the wall. Like, like that doesn't mean that you have those values. It just means that you have a poster that says that you have those values. Right. So the, the third hallmark is having an evolutionary purpose. So meaning the purpose and the values are what the people are feeling in that moment. So the, the book, um, shares a, a, a like a, a view of the different paradigms that our organizations can, um, can be structured around. The common paradigm, which the book calls Orange, is like humans are resources and the company is a machine. And there's inputs and outputs, and the purpose is to make more profit. That is the dominant paradigm for our organizations today. The the next paradigm that started to become popular in kind of the 90s and early 2000s was the green paradigm. This is what a B Corp is. The company is a family with shared values, but there still is a patriarch, a matriarch, the executives who hold power, and they're enlightened and they're nice people, but it's they're they're still the head of the family. And then this third, or this new uh, paradigm, which the author labeled as teal is the organization is an ecosystem like like a rainforest what's the purpose of a rainforest right the rainforest has a bunch of different animals and plants and you know it's a, it's a it's a community it's a network which kind of is adaptive and each player has its own purpose and then there is kind of a collective movement and so the book basically said, "Here's these twelve teal organizations, and here's how they work. Here's how they operate." So, Lauren, you read the book, and it, you know, maybe I'll ask you: like, was isn't it inspiring to kind of see these examples of how these organizations operate?
2: Yeah. So, it reminds me of if you've seen uh, *Biggest Little Farm*. Have you seen this? Have you seen no. it on Netflix? Okay, so watch it because it'll give you. Um, Uh, uh, kind of the similar vantage point in that. um, So for example, on the biggest little farm, they take this, you know, dilapidated piece of land and they're, they're trying to actually turn it into this like self-sustaining farm, working farm. And uh, you watch all of these trials and tribulations of, you know, crops dying and, uh, uh, and, and trying to figure out how can I, so for example, they have a snails problem that's killing this whole entire orchard of trees. Um, And it wasn't until they um, decided to let the ducks um, sort of free range, right? And the ducks then went to the base of the trees and are picking off all of the snails, fixing the snail problem. And then the manure from, or, you know, the poop from the ducks helps fertilize the trees. They have the best crops, you know, all of the steps. So it, 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 that same sort of principle, um, mm-hmm. where we're trying to, to, to create this in this harmonious environment, right. And it may seem a little idealistic. However, I do think with, you know, the, the right uh, kind of, you know, blending all of these together, like holocracy, that this transparency, um, this, this circle structure, this, um, you know, sort of, uh, team governance, uh, roles instead of job titles, all of that um, creates this collective, uh, that mm-hmm. is focused on achieving this singular, you know, this, this vision. And I just think it creates, um, this chemistry, you know, cause this is all chemistry. If you think about it, right. Whether yes. it's situational, um, this is all the, the chemistry of people, the chemistry of the right people coming together to solve the right problem. And, um, I think therein lies kind of some key words, the right people and the right problem. Because the people, the right people have to agree on the right problem that we're all invested in solving for. Um, yeah. and, the, you know, a, a, and so I think therein lies the big difference when we have these. And I think that um, I've coached companies on their tech stack, you know, you have to have your mission, vision and values. And um, because many organizations don't, and if we don't have that North Star, it gives us a really limited ability to suggest what we want that experience to be. And that experience is provided through technology, right? It's all this trickle down effect. But there's so much more to that mission, vision, and values, like you say, um, that I need to start focusing in on with organizations that don't have them. Because again, like you said, it's, you can have this thing and slap it up on the wall and say, that's what our vision is. That's your vision, you wrote it down. Did we all contribute to it? Did we all agree on it? Do we have a constitution around it to move yeah. towards it? Um, and I think there, that, that's where all the missing pieces are is in the middle. The middle is yeah. often the, the missing, missing link. So um, I ordered the picture version as well. Um, oh yeah. Because this is a thick book to get through, let me just tell you. I'm not mm-hmm. quite done with it. It's a lot of words and I read a lot of books. Mm -hmm. um but uh you know they all have that uh, holacracy was pretty easy to get through but um it i I think they all have that same thematic uh thing about them and that's collaboration is one thing but um i i think it's so much more than that the Mm -hmm. collaboration can sometimes be forced
0: yeah yeah and and um the, the thing that we've learned um, over many years of doing this is that our own egos, and especially the egos of people who have power, is what is most standing in the way of employee engagement and um, and achieving collective goals. And And that's something that is, in many cases, or most cases, or maybe even all cases, kind of invisible or at least hidden to those senior leaders. So for example, um, before, you know, we, before I, I came into staffing, um, I was working for a a large tech company. And at one point I had like, you know, 40 people or whatever in, in my department that reported to me. And so I got pretty used to kind of getting parachuted into meetings and then people looking at me and asking what I thought. And then I would say something. And everyone would kind of like do that thing and so over years i i i have to admit i started thinking i'm really smart i can come into a meeting where i don't really know very much and say something and people uh think it's a really good idea and then and then i i i end up you know in this this uh, startup you know we read reinventing organizations and we said okay now edwin's not the boss anymore now everyone's voice is equal and, um, but, and we make decisions collectively and we use different, there's lots of kind of complicated practices that we use to make decisions, but ultimately it's the value of the idea, not the person who's saying it. And so all of a sudden, what, magically, I don't have really good ideas anymore and people are not always agreeing and people are actively disagreeing and, and saying no to my proposals and and it hit me, holy shit. I, people actually didn't think I had the best idea. They were do, just agreeing and going along with it or not saying anything because I was the
1: boss. And that is crippling to growth sometimes. Yes, Yes. Yeah. And I that happens my... everywhere, all the time. Everywhere, yes. all at once.
2: Every, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, yeah. Every, every good, nice movie. Well, cool. um, I, I, yeah. And it, and the, the ego I, I, we have, I have, we have a saying here, you know, it's, it's either easing greatness out, easing God out I and mean, whatever. Um, but that easing greatness out, I think is, is the biggest, um, has been the biggest focus for me because I'm very cognizant. I can sometimes let my ego get in the way and I can make decisions that are based on um, emotion that is not real, you know, which is usually fear, false emotion appearing real. Yeah. Um. And, and so I think that that is often what gets in the way. Uh, and I'm a great example right now. We're going through, you know, we're going through uh, some big stuff over here at leap and I have absolutely been cognizant that fear has been in my way all all along. Um, and, and it's taken a painfully long period of time to get some things done. Um, and, and even though I am the, the most self-aware person, Mm -hmm. it still gets in the way. And, and, and I think the more we can encourage as, as, as leaders within it or as a voice within an organization to encourage people to to be more self-aware be accepting I'm very accepting of the fact that fear is there I'm accepting the of the fact that ego is there it's what are you going to do with that awareness and therein lies the middle part that we forget about is that it's it's all fine and well to be self-aware. It's all fine and well to create a transparent environment where we can have all of this awareness and we can talk openly about it, but what the hell are you gonna do with it? Um, yeah. And how are you going to you know, get past it? I think therein yeah. lies the am ju-
0: so I'm so happy it. you just brought up the, my favorite F word, um, four, letter, four letter F word, sphere. Uh, yeah, is F fear. You, you, and you said false emotions appearing real. I, I always say false expectations. Uh, appearing, appearing yeah. real. So just uh, to, con- you know, I, I, started sharing the story of when I got the, the feedback, um, from my colleague. Um, and what was interesting. And when I talked to her and other people, what I heard was, you know, Edwin you're really good in one-on-one and lot, most of the meetings, like you're really great and you're listening and you're collaborative and all that, but it was in this meeting, this meeting, and this meeting that you got into this mode. So I was like, okay, so I'm not always a jerk, but I was a jerk in those three meetings. What was going on? What was going on inside of me? And what I landed on was what you're just talking about. It's when I'm afraid of where I believe the team seems to be going in this meeting or the decision that they want to make. And I'm afraid that that's bad for the group. So then I really actively, you know, I'm an Enneagram eight. I really kind of pull them over and I try to direct and control over to this other place because I believe it's in everyone's best interest. Yeah. So I go back to my colleague and I say, I figured it out. It's when I'm afraid of where, of where this is headed. So what should I do? And she said to me, you moron.
1: Uh, <laughs> I unless like Are you afraid it. and why?
0: Yeah. Exactly. That's what own she up, said to own me. Up that you're She's like, just tell us that you're afraid, and what you're afraid of. And I'm like, no, 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 no.
1: Yeah, that's I, not cool. I'm the most senior
0: leader. Yeah, you can't. I'm the most senior leader. If I talk, start expressing what I'm afraid of, but then people, everyone else, that'll be contagious, and everyone else will be afraid, and they won't have confidence in me. And or in what we're doing because we're a startup and we're just trying to like pull stuff off here, but but that was a whole story that I was telling myself that was total bullshit. Mm -hmm. So I I I started sharing my fears, and and if you would have asked me a year beforehand, what are you afraid of? I would have said I'm afraid of nothing. I literally didn't even know I had all these fears, and then I start realizing every time I'm triggered, every time I'm, you know, I'm afraid of something. And when I, when I share what I'm afraid of, it's, and it's exactly what you're, what you're getting at, when I share what I'm afraid of, one of two things happens. They either say, oh, I'm afraid of that too. Let's work on that together. Great. Now we're on the same side of the table. Or they say, Whoa, oh, I'm not afraid of that. And here's why. Let me help you. Yeah. We're, versus what I though? was doing was, say, was like arguing and trying to like, you know, and people resist that right so right. it was it was the most valuable leadership lesson that i that i ever learned and now um lauren like you what you're getting at is what do you do about it now every time i'm triggered i i just i have to stop talking i don't say or do anything cuz i'm just going to make it worse and then i i usually just go and i journal a bit like i'll pull up my evernote and i'll be like what is it that i'm afraid of what do i think could happen what are my limiting beliefs here and I just kind of write it out, and that helps me to untangle it. And then usually it's pretty clear what, what I need to do about it that's a healthier response.
2: There's a really great worksheet, and we'll, I'll have to share it with, with the audience on limiting beliefs. It's a page full of words, and I have a million copies of them. And I, I, mean, I think I have them. I have, a, I, have, I have a million copies of it. And when I'm having those limited beliefs, I just circle the limiting mm, beliefs that word. I'm having in the moment um, because sometimes it's, hard. I put more pressure on myself to find the words, right? And so this is just a page of words um, that allows me to circle them really quickly. Why am I feeling this way and kind of get to the bottom yeah. of it. Um, and it's a really great exercise for our listeners. Have something like that. Um, know your weaknesses uh, because if there's an impediment in my way, I'll figure out a way to not deal with it. Right, avoidance. Yeah, uh, avoidance is, yeah. is uh, uh, I, I'm excellently skilled at avoidance. <laughs> <laughs> at avoidance, and so our brain I try is hardwired work- to do it. Yes, our brain it is did. hardwired to avoid you know uh, bad things. Um, as so a do this have-
1: resistance is the best.
2: Yes. Yeah. Not to force yourself to face those you know fear words or limiting beliefs or whatever that is and circle it in the moment. That's what it's the most powerful, the most palpable, the most solvable. Uh, yeah. And so avoidance, it's definitely not your friend. So I love the fact that you I... pause and take a moment to figure out what that is. I do the same thing um, in a different way. You have to do how it works for your brain. But I think mm-hmm. that's what you know creates the beautiful chemistry um, within a team that helps us solve these complex problems. And sometimes the complex problems are profitability. Sometimes the complex mm-hmm. problems are... Um, uh, you know, it could be a, a turnover. It could be all of these, the, these, yeah. these things. So I, I don't want people to think that we're, you know, solving the, these, these big giant problems of the universe. Sometimes it's these very simple things, um, that are the hardest to overcome and yeah. where we have the most, you know, misalignment within, uh, a team yeah. as to how, how we solve yeah. for those things.
1: I have one quick thought. i am got to wrap up because we are close to, to, uh, 40 minutes here. Um, I feel like that moment when like you're having that moment of resistance, Edwin. Right, and you're you realize it's fear. Right, like everyone who's receiving your resistance probably maybe feels that it's disingenuous and kind of coming out and like not as your true, like not as Edwin, like who they usually expect. But maybe they were expecting a little bit of this. But like the power of that vulnerability, and they're like they're not seeing it, and our you know, our BS meters are hypersensitive normally. And yes. They're used to seeing Edwin being vulnerable, and now they're seeing Edwin being resistant. Maybe, maybe they didn't even know what they were experiencing. That they were like their BS meter was like, "Oh, this feels weird from from this leader or from this yeah. person." So yeah, yeah, you know,
0: you're right. Whenever someone is trying to push something on you, you're natural. You you just have a natural uh, resistance to it. Um, the other thing that you're getting at, I like to say, leadership or vulnerability is the is is a leadership aphrodisiac when you're vulnerable people lean in they want to listen they want to follow they want to admit oh yeah i'm afraid of that too right we we uh, we want to reciprocate vulnerability and so it's always good for a leader to go first um i just want to share one other thing um lauren that that just what you were talking about um really landed with me so Um, The story of why and how we grew 600% after COVID was illustrative of the truly the power of, as any any leader can do this, being vulnerable and not feeling like you have the responsibility to figure everything out yourself. So COVID hits, our job orders were down 70%, just like the rest of the staffing industry. What does the majority of the staffing industry do? Well, executives... Figure out, are we doing layoffs? Are we doing furloughs? Are we doing salary freezes, salary reductions? So they get in their you know, cabal and they make decisions on behalf of the organization, power over. And while that's happening, everyone in the organization is scared. And when you're scared, when you're in fear mode, you're not doing your best work. And then when actually the layoffs happen, that just trickles. Fear, 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 fear. The whole uh, company contracts. The whole industry contracts. At our organization, you can't be laid off. You can't be summarily fired by people. We would have had to have made a group decision around these things. And so the very first thing that, that happened was some people got together and said, Hey, we've got a new thematic goal that we should, pro- we should probably switch what our thematic goal is. And it's a Patrick Lindsey only tool where the organization agrees upon a thematic goal which answers the question, what is most important right now for the organization? So what's our kind of primary purpose right now? And we had at the time a thematic goal around, I don't know, collaboration or something that was no longer important, you know, after after COVID hit. So a bunch of people got together, it was a collective kind of brainstorming meeting and then a quick upvoting. And basically the new thematic goal was pivot. Like <laughs> if, if your if, if your customers are not hiring find someone who is um everyone pivot so soon That's, we started doing staffing for for nursing homes and retirement homes if you remember at the beginning of covid that was a big deal then we got into doing um shipping laptops home for any clients that had customer service agents who now had to work from home and we were like loading up software on laptops and sending it home then the ontario government in canada where we had just sent a bunch of their contact um, um, agents' laptops, they said, we've got to do this new thing called contact tracing. Could you help with that? So we ended up basically staffing the entire province of Ontario's contact, contact um, tracing uh, operation, which then led to vaccine scheduling. So And then that all of that led to 600% growth in net income. And the company's 65 years old. It was the most profitable and g- largest growth that the company had ever experienced in 65 years. So that's, that's the story I told at the beginning. Why did that happen? It happened because we didn't have a few people, some executives, who felt the responsibility of making the decision for everyone to, to do a hiring freeze or to do a layoff. Right. So that's the difference. Any leader that has a team can stop feeling like you own the whole thing and you got to figure everything out yourself and you just go to your team. You're like, Hey, our numbers suck this month. What should we do? Can everyone, can we have a meeting next Tuesday where everyone brings their best five ideas and we upvote, you know, what we're going to do? Like anyone can do this stuff anytime.
2: Yes, this is, and this is something that I, and and this is where you you don't have to bring in, um, you know, McKinsey or you don't have to bring in some consulting firm to do this. This is a DIY build your own environment, um, type of problem solving community. And it's the very people you're looking at every single day, they can help you solve some of these big problems, but it takes setting your ego aside to look at the person you know, next to you, uh, or look at the person down the hall from you and say, how would you solve this complex problem? And that, and that really, really takes a ton of humility, um, to, to be able to ask anyone, um, yeah. you know, how would you creatively solve for this problem? And I think that's, again, that's the beautiful chemistry of it all is, is people coming to, together with purpose, um, and a purpose is to solve a greater problem. You guys didn't, nobody was laid off you had, you know, you solved. Not only did you solve the problem, but you had a success story because of it, because of it. And, and I, you didn't spend uh, you know, a hundred. Yeah, and you well, didn't overspend or have to go get invested. Hundred
1: thousand dollars on, well, the consulting fees alone would cause layoffs.
2: Would have been, so, yeah, yeah, agreed.
1: Anyway, yeah, this has been and going going and back awesome. to what you were saying,
2: awesome. you,
0: what we were. What we were talking about before is choosing choosing love, abundance, and positivity versus um, yeah. choosing fear and contraction and layoffs. And then just before we run, I mean, I have to I have to plug my latest project. Um, yes, so, please. So I'm not yeah. I'm not with that staffing firm anymore, uh, but that staffing firm is a member in the Fuse Cooperative. So, Fuse is the staffing industry's first and only platform cooperative. We, ac- we acquired the Gustav Subvendor VMS technology, which is the world's largest marketplace of staffing vendors. And any staffing vendor in the US can become a member of the Fuse cooperative. And what we're basically doing is we're helping to facilitate each staffing firm doing what you do best and Fuse for the rest. So, we're helping staffing firms to partner together and fuses the glue and we're facilitating those partnerships so that a bunch of small firms can be really effective in what we're able to deliver. So, I mean, I can't come on a podcast and not, not plug. You shared a lot of really
2: there,
1: great tips rolled out.
2: Well, and I, I think there's so much technology that is creating this great equalizer in our industry. This is one of them community um, it is one of them. So I'm super, obviously, you know, I, I, we met because I was such a huge fan of Gustav. Um, and so I'm super tickled to see it, you know, sort of continue its life cycle in this, uh, really cool kind of way. Um, so congratulations on, on, on doing that. Uh, it's because like a
1: I pretty cool be, pivot, but not really, Yeah,
2: a it's a, that's a really like, cool pivot. And I think something that our industry so desperately needs. Thank you for being here, Thank Edwin. You.
0: Thank you. Good times. Good fun. All right.
1: Thanks, everybody.
2: Thank you for listening to the You Own the Experience podcast.
1: You can catch all our previous episodes at whywepodcast.com and learn more about our thriving staffing community by signing up for the WhyWe newsletter.
2: And coming soon is Staffing Huddle, an online open community dedicated to your staffing success. I'm Rob. And I'm Lauren. Go do something good.